All right. Good morning, church. Woo, I like it. I like it. Got some of that VBS energy still in the room, man. It was a, uh, it was a great week. A great week. I can't wait. I mean, uh, the, when we start baptizing, the splash zone up front is just we're going to have to replace all the carpet, and I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, man, we just got to see the Lord do some great stuff. I uh, got to see, just be around a bunch of kids. And, you know, when you're around kids, you start thinking like kids. And you're, you remember back in that day, because I think most of us either have kids or, or used to be a kid. Most of us in the room, probably. Uh, and so we, we, we can relate to that a little bit. And, and I find like there's, there's, there's kind of two ends of a spectrum when it comes to kids. There's the, the golden child and the problem child right? And some of us fall in different spaces, right? So let's, let's keep it real. That's what we're about here, right? Uh, so in the room, let's just show our hands. Who, who is the golden children? I was like, yeah, I got away with stuff. I was a favorite. I got extra privileges, extra stuff. I, I, I see you, and, and I don't like you. But I appreciate you being honest. I appreciate that. Um, now, now for the rest of us, who's, who's the, yeah, I'm the problem child. Yeah, all of my children, raise your hands, all of you. Respect, I see you. Respect, we got to stick together, got to stick together. Um, so, and some of y'all are, are children now, so this is like a, uh, was my past tense, it's like this is who I am right now. Uh, so we want to celebrate that, we want to grow out of that. Um, but sometimes it has to do with birth order, you know, like you have the strong confident, independent firstborn, and, you know, the really also confident baby of the family who got away with anything because the parents were all relaxed at that point. And then you got just uh, the middle children, right? And so we, we're the ones nobody likes. Uh, and so I, I was definitely more on the problem child side of things growing up. I uh, got in trouble a lot more with my siblings. Um, and, and to be fair to my parents, man, I was a little jerk. Uh, I, I had it coming. Um, and so I wanted to give a brief story sort of uh, explaining that to you guys. And uh, your opinion of him may change with this story. It's not, it's not, uh, it's a negative story. So kids, this is not an example to follow. Uh, but I was, I was pretty young and we had just moved into a house and they painted my sister's room, this, this beautiful soft blue. And it's, for some reason I got upset with her and I just lost my temper, went in that room and I found a crayon on the ground, a black crayon, you see where this is going, and just, just wildly scribbled on the wall and then dropped it and just walked away like I was walking away from an explosion. I, just, I didn't even look back. I just walked away from, from what I had just done. And, uh, and so in my wild scribbling, it turned out that it was just like a circle and a zigzag in it. And so that, that situation in our family was forever known as the cracked egg situation uh, or incident because uh, that's just how the scribble turned out. Uh, and so later that day, I was playing in my room and, and kind of forgotten about that whole thing. I'd gotten that anger out of me, so I felt better. And I hear my dad's voice. And it, it's that stern, you know, come in here, boys. Uh, and so I've got an older sister, younger brother. And, you know, he calls us all in there. And he's fixing, he's questioning us about what happened there. He's unhappy, understandably. And so, you know, it's my sister's room. She's not going to get to our own room. So narrowed it down to me and my younger brother. I've got about three years on him. And, and so, you know, as a parent, something happens. You don't really know what happened. You get conflicting stories. You have them to, like, do some detective work to try to figure these things out. So he starts with me. I'm the older brother. And he knows, Joseph, do you do this? So... I'm not always a good liar, uh, but in this moment, I, I mustered up my very best, <gasps> no, sir, mm -mm. and he bought it. 
So it landed because I, and I knew that because he immediately just, okay, and went to my younger brother. He said, Jacob, do do this. And uh, now Jacob's less experienced at this point. He's young. He's really young. And he just goes, hmm. And then, but my dad, that wasn't convincing because he asked him a second time, a little more intense, Jacob, do do this. At this point, tears are starting to well up. It's like, mm mm. And he goes a third time. He says, Jacob, did you do this? And he just broke him at this point. Tears are coming down. He goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm over there. I'm just like, ah, this worked. This, this worked. And so, you know, he scoops him up, takes him in the next room, and, uh, and you know, dishes out his punishment. And, and we weren't like a go-sit-and-time-out family, right? So, I mean, this timeout was what you did during a football game. This, this, was, this was punishment. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm listening to him get the, the whooping of his life in the next room. For and, and I'm thinking, you know, this he's getting this punishment for something I did, my my my, my little brother, and I start to think, whew, that was close. <laughs> Dodged a bullet there. Uh, I'm glad that I'm okay. I mean, it, it, honestly, it wasn't until years later where I was like, man, that's really terrible. That's really terrible that I just let that whole thing happen. Uh, and, and it was a big scandal in the family. Um, and I don't know. So it's one of those things. But, uh, but thinking about that, so I try to get my dad's shoes, right? And if you're a parent, you know this. It's like sometimes like something happens with the kids and you're trying to figure it out and you got conflicting stories and but you did this and then this and and it's just like i don't i don't know what to do with this and in dad's case like we both lied about who did it like how is he supposed to really know what's true in that moment right so when we get conflicting uh accounts of what happened uh it's 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 hard to, to make a firm decision one way or the other. And I think that that's a little bit of what some of us feel when we come to the scriptures, okay? So we'll have some people say that, you know, this is, this is false. It's, you know, you can't believe these things. It's fairy tales. Um, and then you have, you know, people like me who say, no, it's not. It's really, really true. You should really listen to it, right? So, so you know, what, what do we do with these things? Uh, so I want to help you understand that faith is not an absence of doubt, or it's not an absolute knowledge, okay? Faith is, is God requires faith of us, right, to please him. He's pleased by our faith. And so it's, our faith is always going to be required of us. He's never going to really close that gap where we know for absolute certainty until we meet him face to face. So, so faith is not the same thing as certainty. You can still wrestle with some doubt and, and at times feel that. But with that, our faith is not an irrational faith. It's a rational faith. We, we can say God gifts us little gifts of evidence that help shrink that leap of faith that's required of us. So sometimes, um, you know, if, if you've been around, we've done some, some apologetic studies, which is a, a study of uh, different ways that we would defend our faith and, and, and evidence supports it. And that looks a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's philosophical. Sometimes it's literary. And so for today, we're going to be looking at just a, a couple of um, archaeological pieces of evidence. You probably didn't come in here expecting that. I should have, you know, worn a leather jacket and had a whip and made everybody call me Andy. Um, but we're going to talk just a little bit about that because I think this is a gift God gives us to affirm what he's written to be true, right? And at the moment we start to, to, uh, to doubt that, it leads us really far from God. 
Okay, so when we look at this, we're going to be looking, you know, a lot of y'all know we're going through the book of Joshua. <clears throat> and so we're, we're getting really to the, the, the first really recorded battle is the battle of Jericho. And a lot of you have heard of this and we're familiar with it somewhat. So <clears throat> just in summary, they get these, these battle plans where they were, you know, Jonathan talked last week where Joshua meets with this angel of the Lord, right? And so he tells him, I want you guys, here's the battle plan. I don't know what you're planning on doing, but here's what you're fixing to do. You're going to march around the city one time, six days in a row, one lap. Seventh day, you're going to do it seven times, then you're going to blow the trumpets and shout, and then you go take the city, right? This is very weird strategy I would not have come up with. You know, this is not a General MacArthur type battle strategy. This is something very unusual. So it tells him to go and to do this. And so, you know, skeptics and critics would look at this and say, this is fairy tale. You can't possibly believe this stuff, right? So when you, when you, it's already decided in your heart that there's no God, then obviously anything fantastic, anything miraculous in the Bible can't be true. However, does it have the ring of truth in it and what we're going to see, there's some archaeological finds that really support it and confirm some of the details that we see in the scriptures. So <clears throat> several years ago, they, they, uh, they really discovered the site. I've got an aerial picture of, of the site here. This is, this is where Jericho was. Um, and, and they've just you know, do, done a lot of digging. They found different things. Um, and so just, just a few little details that I want to bring to your attention because different archaeologists have come to this site and come away with opposite conclusions about whether or not the biblical account could have happened. And that's really, really odd that they would see the same place, same dirt, same evidence, same stuff, and say yes and one say no. And oddly enough, this shouldn't shock you, that a lot of times one side or the other depends on whether the archaeologist was a believer or not. Okay? And so uh, science isn't always as, as objective as we want to think it is, including this field. So I want to just share with you um, not necessarily how to always interpret the data, but some things that really line up with the biblical account. Is that fair enough? So I'm not saying uh, I've got evidence that everything in here happened from archaeology. I'm just saying the, the findings seem to line up. Just a few things. Uh, one is just the size of the city. Uh, one uh, original criticism was that Jericho was so big, there's no way they could have uh, walked around it in, in a reasonable amount of time. The size of it is very doable for that to have happened. Um, another, um, and so th that, uh, that I want to bring out, I've got a, uh, like a, a, a diagram of the walls. So <clears throat> it wasn't a single-walled city they've come to find, that it was a, a double-walled city. And so some of the language in the passage reflects this, and we didn't really know why it kind of talked like that, but now it makes sense. Let me show you just a couple of verses. In 6.1, Joshua 6.1, it says, Now Jericho was shut up, listen to this, inside and outside. Inside, what does that mean? I don't know, I guess I don't know, maybe people locked their doors. They probably didn't even have locks at the time. But now this makes a lot of sense. There's an inner gate and an outer gate. They were locked up both inside and outside. Um, also in 620, listen to this. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout, and the, uh, and the, wall, uh, f uh, the wall fell f down flat, so the people went up into the city. 
So that, that first wall, that lower wall, there was a, like a retaining wall underneath it and the other wall built on top of it. This is what archaeology had confirmed. And so that, that wall would have fallen forward, oddly enough, not in like you would normally expect if it were attacked, but fallen forward and, and instead of that retaining wall made a ramp and so each one went up into the city. And it makes a lot of sense now for someone who was there to have written it like that. If there was an initial wall you had to get over, and as you uh, approached more toward the city, there would have been a, a gradual incline toward the center. And we see some of these things starting to make sense. Likewise, so if y'all remember uh, several weeks ago, Jonathan preached on uh, Rahab. Um, so let me put that diagram back up just one more time. So on that, on that lower wall, you know, Rahab's house, it says, was built into the wall. Right? And so this is thought that this was probably because this was a less desirable part of town. No one would really want their, you know, their bedroom wall to be where you know, people would be attacking and trying to get through in, in, in a battle. And so this is where uh, Rahab's house would have been. And so um, as they continued to, to, to dig out all the way around these walls, what they found was that there are some houses and some structures that were actually built into the wall as almost really the whole wall was was leveled except for this one spot where there were still some dwellings now i don't want to necessarily jump to conclusions you know that doesn't mean that that necessarily was where rahab was hers could have been another spot that the decay of time could have eventually fallen down um, but it does confirm that that this was a place where this kind of stuff happened. They would have built structures into this lower wall, and it may very well, possibly, have been the structure where Rahab lived, where she hid the messengers and where she was rescued from. All this is to say it lines up, right? It lines up. And as, as often as, as you may hear people shout that we're, we're just blind, you know, uneducated, ignorant to, to the truth of the world, and for believing what we believe, if we will press into some of these things, your faith uh, most likely will be strengthened and not weakened. If we can approach it with a lens of faith, man, some of this stuff strengthens my faith, okay? So, first thing I want us to take away is that you can trust God's Word. You can trust God's Word. It's going to be our, our, our theme really for today is that you can trust God. So starting with trusting His Word. At the moment where we begin to look at the, the, the scriptures that we have and begin to say no to this, yes to this, probably not to that, maybe some of it, not all of it, we, we begin to be the ones in charge and we make it more our word than God's word. And sometimes God gives us, like I said, these little gifts to say, hey, listen, like it, it wasn't just a fable. Like it really happened. Like it really happened just like it happened. And I, and I put this in here so that you can, can live differently, believe differently, know God differently. So with some confidence that we can trust God's word, there's some stuff we need to really unpack from this chapter. So, uh, speaking of criticism, there's another criticism of this book, um, particularly this chapter in this battle, um, is, is the violence therein. 
And so this is, uh, there was just a, a handful of battles in the scriptures uh, where they were told just, it's, it's complete devotion, complete destruction, uh, everything, everyone, nothing, nothing survives here. We're not even going to take their stuff. Like, don't, even, don't even take their food. Don't, don't take anything for yourself. Like, we're, we're not bringing anything home in this one, right? And so this criticism is that, you know, God wouldn't do that. I get to decide what God's allowed to do and not do, and so I've decided that God can't do this, right? And so you see the, the, the flaw in that logic is we've again made ourselves the ones in charge, right? So is there a situation where God would instruct this? So keep in mind, if, if there is no God, like if, if, if God didn't command this, then we're, we're, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to do here. There, there's no good reason for this to have happened outside of God's specific instruction to do it. So if you're uh, in a conversation with somebody who's absolutely already convinced it's a foregone conclusion there's no God, you're not going to make a lot of progress talking about this because really that's the only explanation for this to have been okay. And so let's, let's investigate just a little bit of why uh, God may have... Uh, instructed this. One, uh, so three reasons. One, uh, is the irredeemably hard hearts of the people of Jericho. The irredeemably hard hearts. Yeah, and irredeemably is misspelled, and it's entirely my fault on the screen. <laughs> I realized that this morning. I'm like, ah, don't forgive me. Let it go. Um, so the, the, the hard hearts of the people of Jericho. So, so back in Genesis, uh, God's speaking with Abraham, and he says, hey, we're not going to send you in to take the, the, the promised land quite yet, because they're, they're, the sin that they are chasing, and, and they're growing not in godliness, but the sin they're growing in is not yet matured. Like, they're still uh, gr growing more and more wicked, more and more godless in the way that they are living. And we see God's patience for generations with the Canaanites. It wasn't just a, uh, all of a sudden he decided, you know what? I don't like the way Jericho sounds. Let's just wipe it out, right? This is a battle not just of, of, uh, of two people groups, of two families, of two, uh, two nations. This is a battle of good and evil. And these people would have hated the things of God, the things that they would practice. And their hearts, we didn't want them to infect the Israelites. That's the second one. We wanted to move, remove idolatry. Remove the idolatry that existed and was, was saturated in their culture. And if they start to blend in, start to mix, what that's going to do, think about what's at it, what's it stake. God's promise to his people that, he's gonna, that they're going to be a people called by his name. They're going to be a blessing to every family on the earth. And he is going to uh, give them this promised land and eventually... There was one like Moses, this great prophet, this Messiah who was going to send through them. There's a lot at stake here. If this early in the game, this, this idolatrous, committed to idolatry, these people uh, begin to blend in with his people who are called to be holy and righteous because he's holy and righteous, that was not okay. Third, to educate Israel about God's judgment. Now, this is 
This is one that's not fun for me to talk about. This is something, talking about, you know, God's judgment and the severity and the seriousness of it. Um, I would much rather just talk about God's blessings with you, if I'm honest. Like, like how he wants to uh, just, just pour out his blessings on, 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 on his children. And part of that is tied up into, you know, these, uh, these preachers in, in, in churches behind pulpits or on street corners with bullhorns who just seem to love talking about it, who can't wait to tell everybody about how they're going to hell and, and just, and just uh, that's, uh, that's their only message. And that, that, that's not how I want to be characterized. And if I'm not careful, I could distance myself too far from that kind of talk, but I, that I, I miss really the nuance of, of God's word talks about these things, right? Jesus himself talks quite a bit about these things. And if we can't hear God's warnings of judgment, then we're deaf and we're in, we have to really intentionally try to uh, turn a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to it. If we look at this judgment in this chapter, let us see God's judgment for sin and how that's consistent. Because you can also, you can trust this word, but you can also trust God's character. You can trust God's character, one that is consistent. He is loving and, and merciful and patient. I think we've talked about that a little bit. He's also completely holy and righteous. And the sin that, that we sometimes want to play with and, 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 and toy with and, and you know, bring into our life, he absolutely hates that sin. He hates it. So what do we do? We start to say, you know what, I, I think it looks like if I'm going to trust God's word, that his, his judgment for sin is a real thing. And it's serious. It's not a slap on the hand. It's not a, it's not a you know, hey, just, just try to do better next time, champ. It's like, like, he is serious about this. How should we respond? There's, there's two ways we see here. There's the vast majority of Jericho, and there's Rahab. Rahab saw this and responded in faith. When I was doing youth ministry, we took our, our, our students out to, uh, to Tennessee for this mission trip, and, and we were just doing all kinds of stuff. One of them was cleaning up this house where we had stayed at, a bunch of students, and you know, half the time you're just playing kickball, half the time you're doing mission work, but uh, for us anyway. Um, and so we're, we're playing in the yard at one point, and the ball rolls on the street, and, and one of our students named John, who wasn't always the best listener, uh, goes to just chase after this ball, right? And so it's a, it's a busy street, cars flying by, and as he's running the street, I see this car on its way. They're, they're kind of heading the same direction, and I've got a split second to say something, and the words that come out were, John, car. That's what I got out before he stepped foot on the street. It was really fast. Um, and so, and as, as he did, for some reason, he, he listened on that moment, and he stopped, and the car went right in front of him, like flying in front of him. Now, I, I want you to say, uh, I said those words, John Carr, but it wasn't like John Carr. It was screaming, John Carr! You know, it was as loud and as, as alerting as I can. So I hope that we would hear a little bit of that in this account of God's judgment that is coming and it's severe and it's sure and we should respond now beforehand. 
So we can trust God's word. We can trust his character. We can also trust his promises. You can trust God's promises. Rahab had to trust God's promises. So if you think about it, that had to be a long wait. A long wait from when those messengers said, yes, take, take, send us out and we'll make sure that your household is safe, right? She's waiting. She knows that this battle's coming. She's marching around the seventh time. They march and they shout, the walls come down. Then there's this great battle raging and she is waiting, hoping that these promises are true that were made to her. Let's read verses 24 and 25 of Joshua 6. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. And they put into the treasure the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Listen to this. And she has lived in Israel to this day. They didn't just save her. They wouldn't just say, hey, okay, you're saved. Take a hike. They say, you're saved. You're part of this family now. Like you went from being on one side of the wall to the other, just like that. And every single person in this room and throughout history who, who is in the family of God has a story just like Rahab. Do you know that? You were an enemy of God, and he saved you and turned you into a child of God. And he invites you into this because you as well can trust the promises of God. What are the promises of God we're talking about? He hasn't promised us uh, this, this great land and, and you know, dirt and flowing with milk and honey and, and all these descendants like he did Israel. He's got greater promises for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, sums us up really, really well in this promise of God. Listen to this. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's Christ. They all ultimately find their yes in Jesus. The promises for us Whatever, whatever he is, he's offering us is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, that he would take away all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of the evil in our hearts, and replace that with all, and give us all the credit for his goodness, his righteousness, his promise that he's gone and he's coming back for us, his promise that he's sending us a Holy Spirit, a helper who's going to help us live like he did. And they're all find their yes in Christ. And today, today is the salvation, the day of salvation for some of us in this room. And if, if this is something he may be inviting you into right now, you may be Rahab seeing, uh, listening to this and knowing you need to respond, man, let, let today be your day of salvation. And uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, there's a, a really big church out there called Prestonwood. And uh, I went there one time, and in their foyer, um, they've got this in incredible stretch of, of, of uh, 
stained glass. And so, and there's these 66 panes. Each one is a different book of the Bible, right? So it's a scene from, you know, something happening in that book. And so, uh, and, and so you look up at it, and it's just, you know, it's beautiful. And it just, it just stretches around their, their foyer, and you can kind of walk through and look at them. <clears throat> and uh, as I was looking, one of the people who worked there told me something about it, is that from, from one end to the other, from Genesis to Revelation, they did something special. They, they wove into these stained glass this thin red piece of thread that goes all the way through. You can't even see it because it's, it's a little further out. She promised me it was there. All the way from one end to the next. And that's a reference to every page of Scripture is either leading up to Jesus, talking about Jesus, are in response to Jesus. And so I think about Rahab. I said, uh, <clears throat> Rahab, to, when the battle starts, you know what they told her to do? He said, hang a scarlet thread, this is red cord, out your window so that we're going to come and we're going we're gonna to save you. And so and it kind of reminds me of, of Passover a little bit. You know, at the Passover time, they, they had uh, uh, the Israelites would, would smear the blood of the lamb over their doors, and the, the angel of death would, would pass over their houses. And there's this scarlet thread that's, that's going from person to person to person, and has made it here to you, to your ears. It's gone from Joshua, from Moses to Joshua, to his messengers, to Rahab. And Rahab saw God's mercy, and she grabbed hold to it. And sometimes it feel like we're, we're making a decision <clears throat> to save ourselves, but what we, what we come to find out is that when we trust in Him, He does the saving. We're, we're passengers in this thing. Passive. But nevertheless, you're here today. There's someone in your life, maybe who invited you. Maybe there's someone who's been talking to you about Jesus about the mercies of God. And right now, you have the opportunity to weave this, this scarlet thread of Jesus' uh, merciful redemption into your life. And I thought about doing this. I thought about just getting like a really long one and time together and just running it through every seat. So everybody's, you would have it, you know, in their lap. And so maybe we can just picture that in our heads for a minute. That there's this, scarlet thread maybe it's within your grasp you would say Jesus I want you to be mine I want to I want to put you on a vacation Bible school we talked about it like like putting on a life jacket just knowing that the life jacket's there and knowing that it it could save me is one thing putting it on is another if you would say this morning I need Jesus to be part of my story I want that scarlet thread to run through my life and where I can bring it to others as well. Today may be the day of salvation for you. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to, it's going to be a really, very similar prayer that, that I walked our kids through at VBS this week. Same God for them is the same God for us. I'm going to invite you just to pray with me. So we can trust God's promises. And so for some of us, like you know you're a believer, 
Like, you know, I, I put my faith in Christ. He's forgiven my sins. He's redeemed me. And I feel like those Israelites that he's called to do something that doesn't make sense. Everyone else would go into battle and they'd have this, this really uh, battle plan that made a lot of sense and battle tested and it should work. But all through the Old Testament, God's calling the Israelites to do things different. From the clothes they wear to the things they do to their body that Jonathan kind of talked about earlier to the way they live, the food that they eat. Everything they did was weird. Everything they did was different. He calls you to do things that don't make sense to the world. And that's how he gets this glory. Man, I want to challenge you. Take that step. He's calling you to do something weird and silly like march around a city. He's calling you to do something that doesn't make sense to the lost people around you. And he's going to do something great through it. What is that for you? All right, so I'm going to pray a prayer asking God to save us. If you need to pray that with me and be brought into God's family, let's pray together. Everybody close your eyes for a minute. You say, God, I am a sinner like Rahab. And Lord, I know I need your redemption. Would you save me? Would you let Jesus' blood pay for my sin? Would you be the one in charge of my life from now on? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for these people. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for the little gifts of, of evidence that you show us to strengthen our faith. God, if there's anybody here who needs to respond, Lord, I pray that they would. Or if there's someone here you're calling to, to do something unusual, to do something that doesn't make sense, to do something that no one else is doing, Lord, I pray that they would respond in faith. Lord, it's all these things we ask in Jesus' name.